Hello friends and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by Boss Builders University. If you're looking to train up your supervisors and managers, please check out our newest offering, The Art of Being a Great Boss. In this 13-month program, I'll be taking your managers through our driving results curriculum, and that includes topics on communication, performance management, motivation, delegation, problem-solving, decision-making, team development, and much more. The sessions are virtual, running one hour each month, and I'll do it using our popular sketch and seminar graphic art and storytelling format. No boring PowerPoints, stale stories, and outdated tools and techniques. The sessions are engaging and provide tactical, practical tools that can be used immediately after the sessions. You can either have your entire organization take our program, or if you have just a few folks, join one of our open enrollment cohorts that start every other month. For more information, visit us online at thebusbuilders.com. Well, we are nearing the end of 2021, and for the last two years, we've seen everything that was normal completely shift to abnormal. And now as we wind down the year, one of the things we're hearing is the great resignation. We're seeing lots and lots of positions going unfilled. We see lots of organizations fighting for talent, and it's a challenge for all of us. The question is, how do we do it more efficiently and better? Well, I have the perfect guest for you today. Michael Yinger is the founder and board member at ResumeCiv.com. Now, ResumeCiv is a tool that he talks about, and he'll give us a real good rundown on what the tool can do. But even more valuable, I think, is his experience in looking at trends in recruiting. Michael takes us back through what it looked like back during the Great Recession and even around 2001, where we were slammed with 9-11 and a recession all at the same time. If you are thinking about how you're going to navigate recruiting in the next few months, this is a must listen for you and definitely kick the tires on the Resume Civ program that he talks about. Let's quit talking about Michael. Let's talk to him. Time for us to make sure the personal items tucked under that seat in front of you. Make sure the seatbelt is buckled low and across your hips. Time for us to taxi to the runway. Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now, here is the host of our show, the boss builder, Mac Monroe. Michael Yinger, welcome to the show. Hi, Mac. I'm happy to be here. Hey, I'm happy that you're here, too. Today, what we're going to talk about is the recruiting process. We're going to talk about some of the things going on today. We're also going to talk about some of the things that you work with and how you might be able to help us with that. But before we get to all that information, Michael, I was hoping that maybe you could share your background with us. Tell us where you kind of where you came from with all these ideas and what you're <laughs> working on today. Sure, sure. It's been an interesting, uh, interesting career so far, Mac. I, I'm, I'm, I have no problem saying that. I've spent the pretty much the last twenty years uh, in talent acquisition in one form or another. I started doing uh, as a process analyst, analyst, and then I got into the the project management side of things uh, for outsourcing, and then I did some technology. That was all with a company called Spherion. Uh, th then I moved over and was working on actually client delivery uh, as global head of client delivery for Aon Hewitt RPO. 
we got sold to People Scout, and so I got to move into a new environment at People Scout. I continued to do product delivery um, for about a year, and then I was asked to take on sales, and then ultimately also product management and again implementation. So it's been an interesting ride through that um, that part of things. And then, like a lot of other people, I was impacted uh, by COVID, and that had me looking around for an opportunity and. The uh, company that I'm working with now, Resume Civ, came along and said, look, we'd like some help. We're a startup. We've got a technology and we'd like an opportunity to uh, take that product to market. Would you be willing to come in and help us? And so that's what I've been doing for the last 18 months. Uh, we, we took an idea and turned it into a product and have been working uh, to get it into the marketplace, which we've done, and then to start to build a customer base. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm really interested in that product because I think for a lot of people, it's going to solve a problem that they're struggling with today. You know, Michael, everything I hear on the news, everything I read says right now, there are far more open positions than there are people that are willing to take them. And it's amazing to me because when COVID first started, everybody was losing their job and everybody was panicking over it. And now no one really knows what to do. On top of that, we still don't have a full handle on when COVID's finally going to be in the rearview mirror, if ever. And we're faced with supply chain shortages. I mean, I know I'm telling you what the news tells you every night. Basically, I haven't heard good news in a very long time. And my hope <laughs> is I'm going to hear some from you today. But, you know, for the audience that's listening today, what are some of the biggest trends you're seeing now in just the workforce itself? All we hear about is the great resignation. Mm -hmm. What are you hearing from where you're at and where do you think things are eventually going to go? Well, certainly the great resignation is a topic that is on a lot of people's minds. I think the, the, the interesting struggle that I see is people trying to not only quantify it, you know, you look at what happened in September, 4.4 million people left their jobs. Now, the, those people may have been going to other jobs. That's sort of the normal part of the the process, but, it, but it's a much larger number than we're used to seeing. And so what's, uh, what's, what's interesting about the conversation is if people continue to look for, well, what's the reason that everybody's leaving? And this is starting to come to, to sort of gel a little bit that, you know, one thing that COVID has showed us that other uh, events in the recent, uh, in the past, like 2008 and even going back to 2001, people have really started to change their mind about what they want to do and how they want to do it. And what that means is that there are a lot more people who are more concerned with their work environment, the kind of company they work for, the the method in which they're working, than than whether or not they're employed. And so it's a, it's a really interesting time, aside from the fact that the economy has really um, roared back. What one of the things I, I saw an article just or a story just recently that it, it's a subtle thing that that we might not often think about, but prior to COVID, we were really a very strong service economy, and. With COVID, we moved away from services. We stopped going to bars. We stopped going to restaurants. We stopped going to movies. And those things haven't come back very strongly yet. Um, and what we become, is a cons again, is a consuming economy. And we're having to make some adjustments in the economy to be able to do that. And so that's where all the jobs are, right? They're in the supply chain. They're in the, in the um, moving things around. They're in the production areas. 
you know, when when the, the, the reason that there's no food on the shelves is because we don't have enough paper to wrap them in. You know, it's, it's simple things like that. And so from a recruiting industry, bring that back to sort of the general topic we're talking about, that, that presents some really interesting challenges of being open to looking at different kinds of demographics when you're looking to fill your jobs, maybe people that you might not have thought of in the past or people that you've excluded in the past. Um, I think one of the, one of the big areas was a recent article uh, written by uh, uh, in the Harvard business review that we, we exclude an awful lot of people because they're job hoppers without necessarily understanding why were they job hopping? Is that is that an automatic? But it, you know, in a in a time of, of of feast when there are lots of candidates, well, you can make those sort of arbitrary kind of judgments. But in, but in a time where there aren't enough people around, you know, are we really really rethinking what it takes uh, to fill the job and who it is that's available? Um, so it, interesting times for the recruiting industry, although this is, this is a good time, I think, to be in the recruiting industry because there is such a demand for finding people. So let's go back because you had mentioned 2008 and 2001. So 2008, of course, was the Great Recession. And in my life, that was next to 9-11, like the biggest event. And I was doing some outplacement work at the time. So I could really feel that you know, that tension and that pain of people who'd been in careers forever and then just got let go. Some of them wasn't even a notice. They tried to log into their computer and right. their password wouldn't work. That's how chicken shit some of these companies were with people. I'm not going to tell right. you. I'm just going to lock you out of your computer. And then yeah. you'll ask a question. We'll say, oh, we forgot to tell you, you don't have a job here anymore. The yeah. horror stories were legendary. And I heard many of them firsthand. And then, of course, 2001, that was sort of when the tech bubble, I guess, burst, if I remember yeah, right. Yeah, 2001, And then it was 9-11 happens yep. right on top of it. It was just, yep. yeah, some hard times. So is there any real difference in what you're seeing versus now? I mean, yeah, now there's a lot of, I mean, you say everything is kind of shifting and changing. But in terms of what companies are trying to do to address these situations, have we learned anything since 08? Well, you know, in some ways, we, we've learned how to deal with the ups and downs over the last 20 years. Um, and so the industry that I spent a lot of time in, in, in outsourcing, the, the recruitment process outsourcing space has, has really grown up in that time period. What's different this time is, at least for now, the power has shifted a bit to the workers because the workers are controlling when and where they go back to work. And, you know, of course, in, in, in 2001, that was very short-lived, right? There were some structural things that changed for us in terms of how we traveled and whatnot. But, you know, we, we couldn't wait to get back to what we were doing. Then 2002, the tech bubble, as you pointed out, you know that was that that hit just a certain part of the economy. Two thousand eight was was uh, two thousand eight two thousand nine was was fairly broad uh, uh, broad impact. But again, people couldn't wait to get back to where they were going, and so there there wasn't a really a fundamental change in the workforce or the work. It was just as if for a time period uh, jobs disappeared and then jobs came back, which is certainly what happened. Now, what's different this time, I think, and, I, and I'm seeing this in, in the conversations, is that people are, uh, the, the, the workers are, 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 have changed. The nature of things have changed. There was an interesting uh, just little anecdote about uh, one, of the, one of the big banks in New York was having trouble because they hired all these, you know, the usual. They hired all these bright people right off the top of their class from the Ivy League. 
and they sent him home to work, right? And then, then they said, well, now it's time to go back to the office. And these folks said, no, nah, I don't think so. Hmm. <laughs> so you, the, the, we're, we're, in some cases, we're making accommodations for that and others we're not. The, the tech industry in particular has made some huge uh, changes in terms of the willingness to have this, this hybrid, and that's an often overused term, but this, this mixture of, of working from home, working in the office, uh, working in an office, uh, that has really become much more ingrained in some industries. Now, in some places, I mean, I think of my, my daughter as an engineer, and her business was considered to be um, one of the ones that was uh, necessary during COVID. And so she was out of the office for six weeks and then back hmm. through the entire okay. COVID. So, that, you know, there's some situations like that. But it, the, you really can see that there has not been a mass, ex, uh, you know, mass return to the office. And as you say, we haven't necessarily completely uh, put COVID in the mirror. And so there, there may still be some, some things that are slowing it down just because of the pandemic itself. And we get back to the great resignation. Uh, you know, people are saying, I, you know, I, I don't know that one, I don't know that I like the job that I had. And if I can find another job that I can do remotely that pays me enough to, to get by, maybe that's what I want to do. Yeah. I guess there's nothing that can shift the current better than a national international catastrophe, I guess, like we had. <laughs> yes. It's funny. I was thinking back as I was talking to a few people earlier this morning, we were reflecting back on the last couple of years. And, you know, when COVID first hit, it was like, wow, this sounds like it could be bad. And then it was like, wow, this is way worse than I thought. And then, of course, everybody overnight, you know, the Band-Aid was ripped off. There was no, you know, inching it off like most change efforts. And then I remember a lot of CEOs saying, wow, this is working so good. We're just going to be permanently virtual. And a lot of companies went on record saying that. And then yes. we live here in Middle Tennessee. And so we were seeing a lot of people suddenly begin to move here from to places like New York and California, of course, everybody blames everything on the Californians, but you know, the Californians are coming and this and that and houses where I live, I live out in the country, these houses, you know, it might be worth 130,000 and they're selling for 350. No internet, by the way, which, you know, if you're a tech person, you're going to need internet. I mean, I have to rent an office just to get internet where I live, but then all of a sudden, now people are saying, oh, well, you may have to come back to work and, oh, you're not going to make as much money anymore. So I think what happened is a lot of people said, hey, it was an emotional decision. Yeah, we'll be virtual forever. And now it's a sticky situation. And my fear is, and I don't know if you're seeing this, you know, what do you tell the person that says, hey, I'm going to be working virtual forever? Oh, you got to come back. Oh, I'm not going to come back. OK, well, you don't have a job. At what yeah. point are there not going to be these virtual jobs and people are going to be like, wow, I've just lost a three or four years of my career progression, hoping for a virtual job. And now I'm basically starting over. Are you seeing any indication that that could happen? Well, yes, I, I think that there are some companies that that have made um, those kind of, of statements. And I think that that there are a lot of other companies that have made accommodations. I, I think, for example, one of one of the big companies here. I live in Charlotte, is Family Dollar, and you know they they just emptied out one of their um, you know their headquarters building um, and their one of their warehouses uh, during COVID, and they're doing fine. The company's doing fine, and they sold off the the headquarters building, which was part warehouse, part headquarters, because they didn't need it. Mm -hmm. 
they you know they learned to adapt to what they were doing and so th there will be some i'm sh you know certainly uh, there will be some and there are some jobs that you, you you've got to be in a facility you know if you're if you're doing manufacturing or you're doing warehousing or you know some of these other things but it, you know i've got a uh, one of my neighbors works in a bank and he's worked at home for 18 months and now they're making him go back into the office well he's going and there's nobody there there's nobody that he's meeting with. It's just, they said, you got to come back to the office. And mm -hmm. so, you know, people are going to, I I think it'll stick this personal opinion. And I, you know, I, you know, I'm not the only one who seems to think this, it will stick to a certain degree. Is it, is it going to be, are we going to be as virtual as we were during the, the, the uh, heat of the pandemic? I don't think that's the case, but it's certainly clear that a lot of things can be done and be done well in a remote way. And one thing that, that people are starting to think about, I, I, I met with some CEOs the other day and they're struggling with this. These are small business, you know, hundred people, 50 people kind of size businesses. And they're really struggling with this. And my question to them is, you know, is there a good reason that you're bringing them back to the office? And one said, well, you know, we've got this building. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Do you, you know, it, it, is it, it, does it help you? And that's the, my point with them was, you know, does it help you to actually bring them back to the office? Uh, you know, how's your productivity? Are, are you suffering because people aren't working together? Is the nature of your work such that being in proximity is important? There are those kinds of questions that, that people can answer. But um, there, there was a story about a, um, uh, one of the broadcast networks and the, um, the, the news director was saying, Pre-COVID, in you know, for an average show, there were 18 people in the control room, and they they're down to five now, and they're not going to go back to 18. Wow! They just they didn't need them. They're doing them in other ways, and you know, the reality is that that on average, uh, you know, there are jobs out there if people want them. Now, not everybody's going to be happy with the job. That's certainly true, or it's going to be in the wrong place, or or something. But the other thing I saw was a really interesting headline is that um, the uh, the $15 jobs less than $15 an hour are disappearing from postings. Hmm. That's sort of become the bottom, you know, particularly when you see, well, you know, here locally, B of A has announced a $20 minimum mm -hmm. um, across their their employee base and, and uh, Walmart's, I think, up to 17 and you know, you're, if you're a 14 year old kid, you can get $15 an hour at Chick-fil-A, you know, just, it's, it's just sort of the nature of things to get, you, you want to get people into, you know, be hands-on. Those are the kind of things you're going to have to do. And that's, it's going to have to equalize itself at some point. I guess it's probably going to be quite a while before everything settles back into a fairly predictable pattern because nothing's been predictable for the past couple of years, I guess. But I guess, you know, when I hear the the great resignation, there's a part of me that says, so are people just quitting and just saying, I'm not going to work anymore? And then I think, well, that sounds great. I've felt that way many times in my life. And then I realize that even if I'm <laughs> not working, the bills will continue to come You're in. Right. <laughs> they don't just stop in proportion to me not working. Yeah. So, I mean, do, do you see most people, I think you had mentioned earlier, they're they're quitting, but they have other jobs. Are you seeing right. a lot of people that just say, hey, I'm out of the workforce altogether? That, 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 I haven't seen stats lately. Uh, I haven't been out there looking for them. But mm -hmm. the the, the um, it's not so much a reduction in the workforce 
by and large, as it is people doing different things. And, you know, so the, the prototypical one that, that uh, people have talked about a lot is the food service industry. The restaurant industry is finding, it's finding it hard to get people even to come back to jobs mm-hmm. that they had, much less hire people new. Because, you know, when, when you can make 20 bucks an hour uh, in a warehouse at Amazon, for Amazon, and no, I'm not hyping Amazon, but just an example, and you can get some benefits out of that versus making two fifty an hour plus tips and mm. the kind of abuse that people are getting these days because you you know yeah. people are people seem a little testier than usual. Mm-hmm. Uh, I won't go any further than that, but I will say you know you can't can't miss it in the news. People are making those kind of decisions, so it's I I don't I don't believe that it's because more people are choosing to be unemployed. Now the other observation that that some of the economists have made is that. Um, our savings rates are up much higher. So there might be some cushion that people have, but as it doesn't last long because the, the reality is no matter how much you've saved, uh, you know, through the, through the COVID period, um, you know, you probably still need to have a steady flow of income. So I think this is just people are finding different things to do and, and you're hearing about it in the areas that people don't want to go back into, which are the, the, particularly the service industries. Because of course, if you're working in a restaurant, you have to go to the restaurant, you know, and, and, you know, you, you've got to wear probably some sort of a uniform. You can't <laughs> deliver service in your jammies, so to speak. Well, I have another question for you. So let's think back on the recession of 08. And what I remember most about the outplacement work I did is when people would say, you know, I've applied to 30, 40 jobs a day. I'm on the Internet all day and I'm not hearing back from anybody. And then I got a call for an interview and I showed up and then nothing for three weeks. And I call back and nobody answers. No, I email my call. It's almost like I'm being ghosted by these employers. Well, now what's happening is it's the opposite, right? Now employers are upset because, hey, we've hired this person. They just don't show up or I have an interview scheduled. They don't show up. Is that payback that that we're doing? I I mean, it it almost looks that way. Or is it just... A just completely different situation. Yeah, I, 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 I don't think the memory is there for that to be a calculated payback. I think it the, the reality is it kind of is payback because again, I think the workers have more control than now than they did in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. And by the way, I would say that those the experiences that you were laying out are not much different today than they were in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. One of the, one of the things that I'm seeing is the um, you know when we were. It, 2019 things were slowing down a little bit, but certainly 2018 going into 2019, it was the year of the candidate. It was candidate experience. It was the the right technology and the right process and the right messaging and making it simple and anything you could do because the numbers were starting to scare us. I, I, I um, had a hospitality client as a um, where we we got at one point we got down to a night, an average of nineteen applicants per position, and we were scared because mm. that just wasn't enough. <laughs> and now they're 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 companies. I, I'm talking to somebody just recently in the healthcare space. They're getting two and a half applicants per position. So wow. basically, that means that you're hiring two out of every five people to fill mm-hmm. two jobs. Well, that's not much selectivity. And so again, I, I I don't think that they're back to your point about this being revenge. I think that what's happening is that if you don't move quickly, people are finding alternatives. And so if you if you do take three weeks to make a decision, and somebody's applying for you know uh, an entry level or 
an hourly kind of position, they're probably, they're looking for a job. They're not looking for your job. Mm-hmm. And they'll take the next job that comes along. And if it's 25 cents more an hour or it's it's 15 minutes shorter commute, you know, you missed your opportunity. And we'd, we were already starting to see this at the end of 2019 of, you know, this, this idea of candidates ghosting because there were just so many opportunities for these candidates as, as the, the pressure was going up with the, the economy starting to improve until we hit COVID, of course. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it does look like a turnaround in terms of, of who's got the power. And ironically, we still haven't learned to treat the candidates well. <laughs> I mean, there's a whole there's a whole conversation that can be had about candidate experience and how important that is and how much we've seemed to have forgotten in the last year and a half about how important candidate experience is. Yeah, there are pockets of it, certainly. And that you there are also, you know, loud cries of how badly candidates are being treated, just exactly the kind of things you were describing. 25, 30, 50 applications, not a word from any of them. It's just, it's it's a funny time uh, for both, right? And and I, I attribute part of that actually, not to so much that the, the companies don't care about the candidates, because that I don't, don't think that's really the case, but they're, they're hurting too in terms of the numbers of people. And so, you know, what do those workbenches look like for those recruiters? It's it's difficult to hire a recruiter right now. Very difficult. Recruiters are, are it, really in high demand and making a lot of money. There's no question about that. For someone to go into recruiting, what would be the most ideal skill set for them? If somebody was kicking the tires on that as a potential career move right now, just based on what we're dealing with today. Yep. Customer service. <laughs> if if you have nothing else and you can handle talking to people, you're going to be very well set up to be in recruiting. Now, of course, it helps to know, understand technology and 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 whatnot. But if you've if you've been in a situation where you're having to deal with people and you're having to talk with people and you've got a good way about you, uh, you know, the technology is not replacing recruiters. It's making recruiters more efficient. It's not replacing recruiters because that's not what the candidates want, right? Candidates aren't looking for a human-free experience. Candidates are looking for an, a, an engaging experience, an efficient experience. And at some point, that's going to involve talking to somebody. And if you can talk to people, you can learn to do what it takes to do the, the technical side of recruiting. It's, you know, that ability to talk to people is really, really um, something that's going to set people apart. Well, let's focus then on the technology piece of this, because I think that's an area that you do a lot of work in now. So talk about what technology is out there now, and then I'd like to hear more about what you're working on. Well, the, the HR tech space is, is always hot, um, and it is it is very hot right now with just all kinds of different spot solutions. The, you know, there are, there are the big solution, big companies that you would know, Oracle and SAP and whatnot that have very broad suites. But then there are a lot of really sophisticated point solutions around sourcing, around um, automating the interview process, around automating the the process for, for um, scheduling. Um, I met with a company not long ago and they have a product that, very clever. The recruiter records the questions and then the computer calls all the people a thousand at a time, but it's the, the re- recruiter's voice in a recorded way. So it, it somewhat humanizes the process, but it makes that recruiter that much more efficient. Um, and of course, the, the candidate can schedule the call at any time of the day or night. So 
a lot of the focus uh, is on enhancing the recruiter productivity. Now you said um, what I'm working on, that's that's it, uh, what we're focused on at Resume Civ is, is how can we improve the recruiter productivity? What we've done is we, we've started at the front end of the process by dramatically uh, simplifying and speeding up the process of evaluating the resumes. Uh, believe it or not, there still are situations today, not as much as there might have been um, last fall, but there are still situations today where it's just people are getting way too many resumes. I just I happened to notice a, a job uh, floating by on on the internet. It was it was a fairly senior level position uh, at a company, and they had 800 applicants in 36 hours. Wow. You know how do you how do you go through 800 applicants effectively? You know you, you it, and so that's what our solution does. You know you put those 800 applicants into the sieve and you evaluate them against a standard set of criteria in just a matter of seconds. And then tomorrow you got another 100 applicants. Just add those to the pool and reevaluate everybody, and then they'll you know you'll you'll see how the new ones sort out against the old ones. And then, then what we're doing to make that easier is, is we're integrating with the various applicant tracking systems. We've already done that with uh, three applicant tracking systems. We've got a couple more that, that we're working on at this point so that you can actually extract the data from the applicant tracking system rather than having to manually um, import it into the sieve. And then we're also working with, with uh, another company um, called ThinkX that, does a, that has a, a diagnostic around human potential the soft skills. Are you somebody who can handle stress? Are you somebody who can, um, you know, focus on the customer? And so you get, you can balance these two things, the hard skills that are showing up in the resume and then the soft skills that come through this diagnostic. So it's a it, it, very exciting time for us with these, uh, these integrations that we're building and so forth. And again, our focus is how do you make a recruiter more productive? You know, we, we, we have observed things like a 70% savings in the time spent on evaluating the resumes, which translates to about a 35% uh, reduction in the, in the time to fill. Well, if you run that out, um, if you've got a couple of recruiters and they're doing uh, three recruiters and they're doing X amount uh, on, on a given basis, you can save a whole recruiter headcount over the course of a year. Uh, and that's pretty significant savings, especially if you're a small business, you got three or four recruiters and, and, you know, this isn't about eliminating people because, as I said, recruiters are in huge demand anyway today. Mm -hmm. So um, that, that's what our focus is. So the sieve, I guess, is just an add-on to somebody's ATS. Yep. Now, yep. who determines what the – I'm thinking of the sieve, like that thing my grandmother used to use to sift her flour. So <laughs> sure, who determines absolutely. how big the little holes in the screen are? Uh, the, the user does. The user okay. does. We've we the the user has a couple of different ways of of dealing with things. They can either import the job description and we'll parse it out for them, and then they can select the things they want from the job description, or they can create one in the system. Does takes a, you know a couple of minutes once you've done it one once or twice, a couple of minutes. And so when you're when you're um, sieving the resumes, you're you're running these people through a taxonomy of ninety five thousand skills, ten thousand different degree types. 10,000 different certifications and so forth, looking for the one that, that most appropriately matches. And then you can also weight it. So for example, let's say that you, you, know, you, were, you were concerned with somebody having project management and somebody understanding it, knowing how to use Excel, and then somebody who's got uh, three years of work experience. Well, maybe the three years of work experience isn't so important. So you give that 20% because the project management's really important. So you give that a 50%. So you can, you can weight the score 
so that you get really this, the key skills that you want to get. Most, most recruiters are, are evaluating on five, six, maybe seven different points on a resume, you know, and, and the problem is when you're doing it manually, do you remember by the time you get to the 20th resume, what those seven points were that you evaluated the first resume by? It, oh, it, not it, to mention there's the other stack of 750 that, are that you still haven't gone through. Go through right, right. Yeah, exactly. You know, you, you, this is this is the issue of, of unconscious bias coming into it. And again, it's not because you're trying to be biased. It's because you just, you, by the time you've done it, I, I, I talked to one head of talent acquisition. She posted a recruiter job and she got 700 applicants for her recruiter job in 36 hours. So she cut mm. it off. She said, oh, I'm not going to take any more applicants. They printed all the resumes, didn't have a, you know, from their applicant tracking system, three people, four weeks to come oh up with the God. slate. And I said to her, okay, what was the problem with that? And she said, I probably wanted number 701. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you get that many people, you know, are you, and then, and then there's the whole aspect of, okay, I got these 700 applicants and maybe, you know, the, there were only four or five that were really suited for this particular position, but you got these 700 people who, who went to the trouble of applying. Maybe you're going to have another job further down the line. And before you go out and ask for more people, maybe you look at these 700 people and see if there's anybody there who still needs a job, but who might be a good fit for your job. So it, it, that's another sort of use case, if you will, of, of, our system, you can look at your history and maybe you can hire the next person faster because you've already, you've already looked at them. They just didn't have the right skills for this other job, but they're perfect for this one. Yeah, sure. Why not? So let's say we have 800 applicants for a job and we're using this system. So what is the likelihood that we pull out, let's say 10 pretty good candidates? Is that a normal return on oh, something yeah. that big? Yeah, yeah. If if you're if you're not able to to pull the right applicants, then there are a couple of things that are that are going on. One, um, you haven't written the job description appropriately, um, and so you're getting the you're getting people that that don't match your job description, um, or you're you're just being um, interesting. I've seen this a couple of times lately. You know, if if you're not working, if you're not willing to take the eighty percent solution, then you're probably you're never going to find the hundred percent solution. That job's going to remain vacant. So that's the other thing is that there's some some time aspect to it. Um, we recently posted a, a sales position, and I went through about two hundred applicants, and we didn't find anybody because the people who were applying didn't have what we were looking for, and they were applying anyway. So mm -hmm. you know, so you back to your question, what you know. Are you if, if you got 800 applicants, you're going to find 10 that, that work? I think probably you are. Okay. Um, we, we had one customer tell us that they were filling a, a chief revenue officer position. They had 250 applicants and the, the CEO and the HR uh, manager spent two weeks going through those and they came up with their slate and they interviewed. Well, just for grins, they put all that information into the sieve, which took maybe you know an hour and a half or two hours to load all this stuff in. They came up with the same slate that they interviewed against, and the number two person on the list out of the sieve was the person that they had eventually hired uh, using the manual process. But if you know, it was two hours, yeah, <laughs> as opposed yeah. to two weeks. And and you know, it's not even so much the time savings, which is an important thing, but it's 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 getting to an answer faster so that you can move forward on the candidates because these candidates they're not hanging around. No. They're not hanging around, and they, you know, if you if you spend two or three weeks, then they're off to the next 
opportunity. Yeah, well, that would be my fear is that, you know, we're going to say we want the right person. But by the time we get around to it, they've already moved on because right. you got to remember they got bills to pay, too. And exactly. they may not want the job bad enough to sit there and borrow money from mom to wait for you to make your decision if you ever make one at all. So you can <laughs> right. see where it could fall apart. So I guess let's say I have my 10 that made the cut out of the 800. Yes. Um, as the company, I can still screw this up, right? Because now now I go from the machine to the human interview. Is is Do you see the ball ever getting dropped at that point? Well, sure. Of course, it does. the 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 challenge, of course, is that now you know, as as uh, it was the old uh, science fiction movie. Right now, the people are in the loop, or the humans are in the loop. Um, and that's not to say that that people aren't capable. It, it the challenge often, um, and I saw this in in my RPO days, that the the one area of the process that's often the most difficult to control is the time from when the slate is created to when uh, a hire is made because you're, you're now you've got the hiring managers involved and you've got scheduling issues and you've got timing issues and you know we 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 would say that that our slate for example is um, is uh, pretty um, without bias because we're not evaluating the people we're just evaluating whether or not the skill is present on their resume. Mm-hmm. Well, now you get people who are making decisions, and uh, you know those who are in the DE and I space will tell you that that's where challenges can arise. And so there are solutions even there that um, they uh, sort of denormalize a, a resume by taking the dates off it, so you can't tell how long somebody's been in the workforce, and and of course taking the names off it, so you can't tell anything about ethnicity or or, or gender. And so there are there are challenges there, but the the biggest challenge is is, you know, do you have the process in place? We, we were working with one client and um, we, would, we would schedule nine onsite interviews and no hiring managers would show up. Mm. They were too busy doing something else. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I get it. Except that now those nine candidates are gone. They're yeah. not going to talk to you again. Then not after you've dragged them into wherever you're going to drag them. That's just one simple example. And this is this is where, you know, the focus on the candidate and what you're going to do for the candidate is so critical. As you say, Mac, you can screw it up at that point. And particularly if you don't have a lot of choices, you don't have a lot of choices. The, the example that I gave you a little while ago, two and a half candidates per mm. per job. The other interesting stat about that company is that they they would hire one out of nine. Well, let's see. You're only getting two and a half per job, and you're only hiring one out of nine, which means that you're hiring, you're filling one job out of five. <laughs> oh. Well, that doesn't look, work for very well long, does it? I mean, that's just it's just you know once you start to look at things, it, it's pretty amazing um, uh, what kind of situation companies get themselves into it into, and they just don't even realize it. Well, and then they wonder why they're not filling their positions. That's I guess exactly right. It's, why it sounds so like if, you, if you're going to do this, it sounds like you need to take the entire process, start to finish and figure out where resume sieve fits in there, but everything else has got to align with it as well, right? Yeah, you really, you do have to look at this holistically because there are a number of drop places that things can drop out and you want to, you know, you want to avoid those as best you can. Do you see in the future where the entire process could be completely automated and basically we just see the candidate on their first day at work? Actually, that wouldn't be a new thing. Um, I, I say that with some experience. We had a, a client uh, many years ago who, by cobbling together various systems, actually 
created a situation just like you described. Somebody would go through these steps and they'd be handed off from one system to another and they would show up on their first day. I think that that we have moved away from that kind of a solution because the one, the candidates don't like it, but two, companies, they still feel like, um, at least for most positions, I still have to see the person I have to, you know, make a final judgment on whether or not they're going to be a fit. Now, there are more things that that can be tested, more things that can be evaluated. Um, it, it, a lot of it is going to depend on, quite frankly, what do we as workers, people who are applying for jobs, really want out of the experience? And while you know, people would say, well, the millennials in particular are more comfortable with with inter, you know, interfact inter interreacting with machines and so forth. Um, and, and I consider myself pretty savvy, but I tell you, there's nothing much more frustrating than dealing with a stupid AI. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then, you know, then it, it turned it, you know, just, it's a subtle thing that, that, that can then turn you off. Right. I mean, one, if it, if, if the AI just really doesn't get what you're doing, I, I, I was, at, at, I was testing a system and, um, it, it, the, 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 the system said, you know, do you feel like you're qualified, um, to interview for this position? And I said, what position? And the system said, fine. How about Wednesday at five? <laughs> what? <Jeez. laughs> you're going to have AI. Was, they better be smart, huh? Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it was not prepared to, to have anything other than, you know, a yes, no answer. And when it didn't get the yes, no answer, it just went on to the next thing, I guess. It just very, very odd kind of situation. Um, and I, you know, I know the the there. I'm actually a pretty strong proponent of AI, and I think that that there are definitely some uses for AI. We have some AI built into our application um, in terms of how the resumes are are parsed, because resumes are really difficult, right? They're the formats are all different, and the fonts and where you put this information and and whatnot. And so the system is learning how to read a resume how to understand that this is the person's, you know, um, email address, or this is when they worked here or when they worked there. It's not making any judgments though. And, and that's been the, the interesting challenge as people continue to look for a, an AI solution to solving the problem. Um, I, I was talking to a CEO who actually purchased the AI module uh, for um, sourcing on the front end of the applicant tracking system that he was using. I said, well, how's that going? He said, well, we don't use it. I said, why not? Just because the recruiters don't trust the results they get from it. Well, it isn't necessarily the results weren't good. It's that the mm-hmm. recruiters weren't then telling the system, which is, of course, a key component, telling the system why they made a decision that they made. So the, the system didn't have anything to learn on. So it just kept producing the same stuff that it was producing. And so the recruiter said, this is a waste of my time. I'm going to go back to my my old way of sourcing. I'm not going to use this AI. So there's there's some interesting things that have to you know, come together for that to work. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm oversimplifying it. They're probably, you know, uh, their AI folks out there are sort of turning over and disgust, but they, it, it, we haven't really found a really great solution um, using AI yet. And um, short of that, uh, we've got a long way to go before we can take the humans out of the loop in, in this conversation, as you suggested. Well, then I worry that the Terminator shows up at our door, you know, and it's like, we got a different problem. Yeah. But which well, one, which is it Terminator one? That's Terminator the worst two? part. We don't know. They all look <laughs> yeah, the same, you know, maybe right. they're going to kill us and maybe they're going to protect us. We don't know. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, let me that's ask right. you this then who would be Michael, the ideal candidate to use resume SIF? Yeah. 
it's actually a pretty broad answer, um, although I'll, I'll simplify it. If you're if you're looking to inc- improve the productivity of your selection process and you've got enough resumes to to actually be struggling with it, then that's a good choice. You know, if if you're dealing, we we talked to a healthcare company the other day, and and you know, in, in the clinical area, for example, they had two or you know, they were lucky if they had two or three resumes per job. Well, we're not going to help you very much there. But if you're talking about maybe the nurses in the clinical space, yeah, well, there there could be some really good value. So it's it's are you are you shorthanded in the recruiting space, or are you looking to improve the productivity of your recruiting? Um, we're there. We're going to be good to help you. So that's you know probably a company that's north of 100, 100 employees, but it could go up much higher than that. Um, I, I was talking to uh, somebody from a very one of the very large uh, consulting companies, um, a managing partner. So this is a very senior role, and they you know had a job that they gave to their in-house recruiter. The recruiter sent them fifty candidates. <laughs> what's 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 a managing partner going to do with fifty candidates? Because that recruiter didn't have time to rank order these candidates. He just sent them the the you know the first fifty. Uh, so there mm-hmm. there are all kinds of interesting ways that this can be brought to bear um, for, for, for companies, but it's, it, you, you gotta, you, you definitely, I think one of the key criteria is you, you gotta have resumes, you got, you gotta have applicants to really get some advantage out of the system. There's no question. And the biggest advantage, it sounds like speed of decision-making then, right? Well, it's it, it, speed and then consistency, which is something that's, that's often you missed, except that that can be really important. So for example, if if you've uh, you filled a position and you found you know a certain set of skills that's really successful, they they stick, they don't quit. You can reuse that kind of information to evaluate the next set of candidates, so that so that starts to lead to improvements in in your uh, in, in your hiring and your retention. So it's it's speed, but it's also consistency that that we can bring to the table where. You know there are systems that will will do this, and they're more matching than they are ranking and evaluating. And so you really, you know, I I looked at a system the other day that said, oh, we rank and evaluate candidates. Well, they rank them based on the results of the interview. Okay, but that's way downstream. That's four or five people. What about the hundred who applied in the first place? Well, no, those don't. Those still are getting evaluated the the, the same old fashioned way. So basically, you need a complete systems approach to this, and it doesn't sound like you can just mix and match stuff. Then, right? Well, you can. You can certainly. Uh, the, the The systems today are getting smarter and smarter. So yes, you can mix and match the tools. And I think you, your your point is a valid one. You need to be thinking holistically about your process. Um, what is it you're trying to accomplish? And you can either do this yourself or you can hire a consultant to do it, or you can outsource it and, and have somebody else worry about it. The, 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 the reality is um, you do have to look at w- the entire chain of events to ensure that you're, you're really getting the best out of it. Because let's just say we really dramatically improve the, the resume review process at the front end, courtesy of the CIV. And we don't do anything about the interview scheduling and then the interview follow-up. And so you've you've cut 70% out of the re- the resume review process, which might have been, say, five days, and you've cut 70% out of that. That's pretty good, right? You should just save that, that amount of time. 
but you still take 25 days to go through the interview process. Mm-hmm. You know, is it is it enough to to help you out? So that it really helps to think about this stuff holistically. And and all too often, uh, you know, these tool vendors, um, I guess I, I fit into that bucket, but these tool vendors will come in and they're, they're just going to sell you their tool and how great their tool is. And, you know, it, it sometimes falls to the company to really be thinking about, yeah, but how does this fit with everything else I'm doing? Is this really mm-hmm. going to, you know, adding this tool, is it going to, is it going to be enough or, or, you know, do I have bigger things that I need to worry about? And that's, you know, that's something to, to take into consideration. Well, you made a pretty good case for resume sieve. So I guess the uh-huh, last question you. I have, Michael, is uh, if people hear this today and say, wow, I think I've discovered why we're not getting any candidates. We're taking way too long. We're not doing the right things. It sounds like this is something we ought to explore. Michael, how do people find you? How do we reach out to you for help? Sure. Uh, I would say all the usual ways. Our website is resumesiv.com. Easy to find. And we're on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. And then there's uh, reaching out to me. Uh, I'm Michael at resumesiv.com or Michael Yinger in LinkedIn. Easy to find, easy enough to find. Excellent. Well, if you're listening to this today, I think we may have a great solution for some of the challenges you're faced with all of this, all these new trends in talent management. Hey, Michael, thanks so much for taking some time to chat with us today and to share the things that you're working on and really give us a nice picture of what we are really looking at in the near future in terms of recruiting. Thanks so much for being on the show. Mac, you're welcome. I appreciate the opportunity to have the conversation and and, uh, share what we're seeing. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well.